Welcome back to Girl Out of Order. Today's guest is going to blow your freaking mind. I am so delighted to welcome to our show the incredible, the accomplished, the hilarious, and the insightful comedian Jocelyn Chia. She is world renowned. And when I say world renowned, I mean literally known around the world. She's a lightning rod. She's a badass. She's so resilient and um, an incredible example of what it means to be a girl out of order. In fact, I'm calling this episode the ultimate girl out of order because this amazing woman stood up in the face of such incredible pressure to cancel her. In fact, this pressure came from an entire country and she said hell no she not only didn't back down she actually rose up and as a result her career has taken off i cannot wait to introduce you if you don't already know her to the incredible comedian and my new friend within the tony robbins community the incredible Jocelyn Chia. So buckle up because it's going to be an incredible ride. I will tell you it is a long episode, but stay to the very end because Jocelyn drops such fire, such incredible wisdom at the end of this episode. You do not want to miss a minute. I am so thrilled to welcome to our show Jocelyn Chia. Welcome to Girl Out of Order, Jocelyn Chia. Hello. I am so excited to have you here. Um, this is my new friend. I'm going to call you friend. I hope that's okay. Absolutely. Of course, we are friends. After that four-hour conversation we had, we're friends, girl. <laughs> oh, good. I locked her in. So um, I had already done an introduction, a little bit about you know who you are, but there's no one better to tell the community who Jocelyn Shia is than you. So just give us a little bit about your background. I think I told you the question was like, who the hell is Jocelyn Shia and what are you doing here? Well, I am originally from Singapore. I was born in America. I was born in Boston when my dad was studying at MIT. But at three weeks old, I think they shipped me back to Singapore on FedEx. And <laughs> <laughs> that joke gets me every time you say it. <laughs> <laughs> And I, that's where I grew up until age 19 when I came back to America for college because my dad thought I needed to be able to live in America so I could choose which citizenship I wanted to have. And so I came here for college and ended up staying, chose American citizenship, went to law school, Georgetown Law School, uh, worked at a top 10 New York City law firm. And then, Okay, before you go any further, okay. I, have to pop, I have to pop in because there's a funny story about the law school. When you told me that how you picked the law school. Oh, yeah. I was already um, doing it. I was doing this job in Washington, D.C. There was a really entry-level job. It was so mind-numbingly boring and dumb. that. And when I looked for other jobs out there, I was like, wow, you really need a graduate degree to do something more intellectually stimulating. So I looked at a few schools like law school and other grad schools. And I decided on law. And I was like, I was already living in D.C. at the time. So I was like, oh, Georgetown Law is just down the street. Let's just go there. <laughs> Like, seriously, who does that? Who just like, oh, I'm just going to go to one of the top law schools in the country. You know, it's down the street. Like, just down the street. Yeah, I just showed up at the admissions office. I was like, hey, here's my application. You know, 
uh, I'm just around the corner. Holler if you want to have me in your cohort. And it worked. <laughs> and it worked. Yeah. And it worked. So you graduated from law school and then you went, you said you worked at a top 10 law firm in the country, in the DC area, what? In the New York area. Yeah. The New so York area. Top okay. 10 American law firm headquartered in New York City. Okay. And what were you doing there? I did capital markets first. And my first deal was very exciting to me. It was the Hertz IPO. Um, and I was like, wow, when I first came to America as a non-baby, I was around 12 years old and we went to Disneyland and Hertz was the rental car company that my dad got the car from. So I was like, I know Hertz. I think the IPO now. This is so cool. So I did that first. And then I switched to mergers and acquisitions and pri private equity. Okay. So when you're doing this, you're doing this fancy law firm thing, you're obviously very successful. Why didn't you stay there? So back in, when was this? We, so we were, uh, uh, we, we represented clients that were all collapsing at the time during the subprime mortgage crisis, Lehman mm. Brothers, uh, AIG. So all our clients were collapsing. So they had to like let go of half the corporate department. But interestingly enough, Christine, Literally like a week or two before we were given the news, I came home. It was even that late relatively to what I've been doing. I came home at maybe midnight, which was quite early at the time. And I just like found myself sprawling on the floor. And I was like, oh my God, somebody please get me out of here. Like I can't take it anymore. Like I would have fantasies of getting hit by a bus just so I could like <laughs> rest in the, ho in the hospital bed. So it was really like a prayer come true. And then I got four weeks pay, which is the equivalent of many people's one or two year salaries. I was like, oh, this is amazing. So I went on my eat, pray, love journey. You know, everyone was inspired by eat, pray, love at the time. <laughs> yeah. So I did my own version of eat, pray, love. And because at the time I wasn't working, I used Groupon a lot. So actually, I don't even think you know this part of my story. I was like, no, this is a great business model. I'm going to launch this in Singapore. So I actually started like a Groupon business in the Singapore market at first. Um, really? Mm -hmm. And But there was a lot of competition at the time. And one of the smaller, well, one of the new companies got bought out by Groupon itself. So that was the one that became successful. Uh, Carl Chong, we, we are still like acquaintances to this day. I, we became pretty friendly after after the fact. You know, Now that he was already bought over by Groupon and I moved on to other things, we actually met up in New York City. And he was like, oh, I remember you very well. Oh, no. No. <laughs> So you started this business and then what? And then it became pretty clear that there was just too much competition. There were a lot of copycats. So I sold my business to another bigger player. And, you know, in a way it was like, a, I would have considered a failure because it, it didn't become like the next group on, but it propelled me to the next thing. So, which is why you don't, you really shouldn't see failure as failure, but as a stepping stone to what you're really meant to do. And Having Because if I hadn't done that, I wouldn't have gone to my next job, which was a very exciting, very desirable job. It was a job as an innovation consultant for InnoSight, which is the consulting company of Clayton Christensen, whom those who are in the innovation space would know him very well. He's considered like one of the founders of disruptive innovation. He wrote the book, The Innovator's Dilemma. Uh, in fact, I met the CEO of... Um, the Uber East of EMEA, uh, Middle East and, and Europe mm. and Africa. And this is number one favorite book, The Innovators Dilemma by Clayton Christensen. And I was at his consulting firm. And so he was like wow. super impressed. Um, so like 
I know not a lot of people might know like the innovation space, but those who know, know. And so I actually got this like really very hard to get job at his company. Like, this is a, co a company that Harvard and Yale MBAs are trying to like get into. And here I am, this little Georgetown Law graduate, having gone to business school and I just managed to get this job in large part because of that entrepreneurial experience that I had. Mm -hmm. So I could leverage that into an innovation job. Um, and it was at this place in Boston, actually, the place of my birth. So it fulfilled two dreams. I got to work at this company that was like such a dream company. And uh, I got to live in Boston, the place of my birth that I've always wanted to live in. So I got to do that. And then one day I got invited out to see Aziz Ansari for a comedy show. It was actually a date. Uh, a Boston Globe journalist asked me on, on a date. And I didn't even know who Aziz Ansari was. Hadn't even gone to comedy shows. I had no clue about comedy at the time. I didn't know who Louis C.K. was. Like, none of that, right? And I go and watch Aziz Ansari. And halfway through, I'm I'm crying these emotional tears. I'm like, why am I crying? It's not like tears of laughter. It's like emotional tears. <laughs> like, why am I crying in a comedy show? And the inner <laughs> voice was saying, because it's what I really want to do. I was like, get the F out of here. But then I wow. went to a comedy show when I was doing a deal in New York City and the same thing happened. I was like, wow. You started crying. Wait, so so you go to two comedy shows and you start crying again? Yeah, I started crying. Again. I was like, what is up with me crying really? comedy shows? And that, I, I, I've seen Aziz Ansari now that I'm a comedy seller comedian. He, he comes to the comedy seller. I haven't told him this story yet. One day I will. Um, but the second comedian that I did cry at he actually, I got him to headline a show that I was producing maybe like three years after I saw him. And when I was hosting the show and when I brought him up, I told the audience that story. I was like, I saw this guy. I started crying because I knew this was what I wanted to do. And then he came up to the stage. And he's like, oh, don't ever tell that story again. <laughs> he was so touched. And now we're pretty good <laughs> friends. So very interesting how life turns out. That is amazing. So you're at the, you're, you, so you've got your dream job. You just said that you you're living in your dream place. You got your dream job. And then you go to a comedy show, start crying. And then your dreams changed. And then You're my fair? dreams changed. And also my dream let me go because actually that dream job was meant to send me to Singapore. Um, and so that was like why it was like such a dream job. Like, oh, I get to go home. I get to live in my home country with my parents again, doing this exciting job flying around the world because it was a job that would send me to like Japan and Spain. Um, so it was pretty cool, right? And you're working for like these huge companies that were on the cutting edge of innovation. But then there was like a bit of a downturn. The, the Singapore job disappeared. They end up you know, having to like, the, the founder passed away, et cetera. So anyway, they end up selling, selling off. So it wasn't going to be a long-term thing anyway for me. Um, but I was like, I got to like not continue at the exact moment that this new dream came about right the okay. Singapore job was now no longer um and now all of a sudden I have this like comedy desire and coincidentally enough because of that dream job they they invited us to go to the moth which is a storytelling competition and and I did it and the first time I did it my colleagues were like wow it's as though you belong on stage it's like you're at home there and so this is your of, consulting colleagues that are saying this? Yeah, my consulting colleagues. Amazing. Like Harvard Yale MBA graduates being like, wow, you're like so at home on stage. It's like you belong there. And I was like, oh, okay, cool. Um, and But because of that, I started getting on these like storytelling mailing lists. And interestingly enough, this company that was an improv theater that had storytelling classes by 
the probably the number one moth storyteller in the country, Adam Wade, had a class. I was like, oh, let me sign up for this class. And because I happened to be on that mailing list, I got the notification when they were looking for a corporate events director. And I was like, wait a minute, I get to mail my new comedy interest with my corporate background in one as like the corporate director of an improv theater. So that became my new job. I got free really? improv classes. I could I had the time to pursue comedy. I mean, it was like consulting was really a 10 to 12 hours a day job, whereas this one right. was part time. I had the time and the energy to pursue my comedy craft. Like if I had a full-time job while trying to be a comedian, I don't think I would have been I don't think I've been able to make it as far as I have. It was okay. It was so that's really important what you just said there because you kind of slipped that in there. Like you were doing the consulting and then you got this other offer. Did the consulting gig, is that because it had ended? Or is it that happened all around the same time? It was so weird. They're like, okay, hey, you know, our Singapore office doesn't have um, a need anymore. So we can't send you to Singapore. And then. The New York job opportunity came up, and then my new and then I cried at the comedy show. It was like, and there was, the, and like there was the, the tears month. and the snot and all that, and yeah, yeah, yeah. This is all at the same time. So I was like, yeah, this is kind of clear what the step is to to take. It was, a, I mean, obviously it was a bit of a, a risk. You know, there were other consulting jobs that I was offered at the time, but um. The, the emotional pull was very strong that no I don't want to be a consultant because I thought it was my dream job but it actually wasn't you know like one of those right. things where you think you really want it like your dream guy and he turns out to be a schmuck but <laughs> <laughs> I love what you said there something that impresses me about you again I think I probably say this a ton of times or in different ways but you seem and tell me if this is lands with you that you're very comfortable with uncertainty that you're comfortable taking risks. Is that fair? Or am I hearing that you just, it just kind of the way it unfolded? I guess that is what I have been told. And maybe, I mean, even coming to America all by myself as a teenager is something people tell me they are impressed by. Um, but for me it seemed like a comfortable risk. And I think I wouldn't take, I think me, I take calculated risk, right? Coming to America is for college. I have some kind of support system within the college itself. It's not like I'm coming. I mean, those immigrants that take a boat from China, not knowing English, to, don't even, they don't even know what they're going to be doing when they come to America. Now, that is a risk, okay? If you want yeah. to talk about a risk, that's a risk. Those are like, First immigrants, like I, English is my first language. I have citizenship. I come here right. from college. It's a very manageable risk. So I don't want to overblow my appetite for risk. Like I can take a manageable amount of risk. Okay, so for example, leaving the consulting to take this job and and trying comedy. I only committed to it for like a year. I well, I wasn't like I'm leaving this and being a comedian for the rest of my life. I was like, let's try it for a year. And I have a one year renewable contract with myself every year as to whether or not I stay, stay in comedy and <laughs> just keep renewing it every year. Oh my gosh. I love that. I'm just going to repeat that. You have a one year renewable <laughs> contract with yourself. Yeah. I have a one year renewable contract because I think it's important to assess whether or not something is still your dream and whether it's worth Ugh. the sacrifices you're making. Are you getting the ROI that you wanted to get? Are you making the progress you, you need to, to keep making? Um, 
Yeah, maybe even in a relationship, I might do that too. <laughs> One year, I, I've never lasted more than a year with anyone. Maybe that's <laughs> so you don't need to have a contract yet. <laughs> well, you also said, so I'm going to circle back to something else that you said that really landed with me in particular. And I'm sure many women that are listening to this, you said that if you'd been working in full-time consulting, you wouldn't have made it this far in comedy. Yeah, correct. So that was the risk I was talking about, because even working part time, like you've got financial risks, you've got, you know, advancement risks. But, you know, just I think, you know, a little bit about my story. You know, I run my own law firm and I'm building a public speaking business, building this podcast and, and finding it very difficult to have enough bandwidth. And so mm. I guess I'm just really impressed with the. The, the insight that you had, and that's the risk I was talking about, the, you're willing to take a risk because you dr your dream was worth it. I see what you're saying. But I've even had that insight in college when I would have friends who are very ambitious and they take 20 credits and be president of the student council and run track. And I was like, how do you focus on so many things? So for me, I was very much like, I'll take a few classes and really focus on them. And so graduated with a 3.86 GPA. But because I wasn't overloading my credits, I was focusing on the few classes I took, a couple of extracurriculars, um, dated a couple of guys. You know, I wasn't like, <laughs> 20 guys, oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> That would have been an interesting decision. <laughs> right. I think I have had a 2.0 GPA that had 20 guys. So, yeah, I think I, I've been more on the mindset of less is best if you really want to get good at them. And I'm sure there are people out there who can, like Elon Musk running multiple things and all that. But I'm, I know myself, I'm not one of those that can just burn the midnight oil and burn uh, end to end, whatever the phrase is, just to do more. I think for me, less is best and I can focus. I love that. I love that. So tell us where you are in your com your comedic career, if you will, at this point, because we got to the point where you were working part-time and building your career, but you're, dare I say, kind of famous. <laughs> you know, I didn't realize how famous I was until a week ago when another comedian in Indonesia went viral for a, a video that he did and I just like and someone was saying hey you need to collaborate with Jocelyn Chia because we had both done comedy clips that had cast Malaysia in a, in a not so flattering light and when 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 I just shared a story like yeah I'm gonna be collaborating with this comedian it suddenly got so much traction in Indonesia and, and the Indonesians were calling me queen. They're like, Queen Jocelyn, the queen is returning. Queen, <laughs> I'm making your crown. I was like, wait, what? And then I asked this Indonesian comedian, he's like, yeah, you're like considered a queen in Indonesia <laughs> because that's in your country rivalry between Indonesia and Malaysia. Yeah. Uh, and Indonesia has a population of like something like 250 million people. So I was like, well, I'm the queen of this 250 million country. That's amazing. But yes, um, speaking of my comedy career, I would say I'm where pretty much where I dreamed of being when I started. When I first started, I wanted to be a regular at clubs like Gotham Comedy Club. Um, the Comedy Cellar is the number one club in the world. I'm not even sure I even dreamed of it back then. Oh, no, I did. You know why? <laughs> I, had this, I had this guy I was seeing at the time. He's a comedian. We had a, a breakup and he like 
started dating this comedian friend of mine. And I was like, oh, you just like made this a friend switch. Like that's so nasty, etc. She didn't know, like, you know, to be fair with for on her side, but yeah, anyway. But because I have like very competitive instincts that come out in certain circumstances, I just fantasy, because we're all comedians, I just fantasy that a few years down the road, I was gonna be walking towards the comedy cellar which is every comedian's dream again. I was going to be walking towards the comedy cellar and I'll see the two of them behind me. And as I'm about to enter the cell, I was going to turn around and look at them and be like, I hope my dust tastes as good. <sighs> and so that was my... That was your vision? <laughs> that they're eating my dust. But instead of saying it quite like that, I was like, I hope my dust <laughs> tastes good. <laughs> Just about it. I like your voice. Oh, that tastes good. <laughs> Very sultry. Yes, actually, coming of it into the cellar was a fantasy of mine, just as a revenge fantasy. But now, after many, many years of hard work, how I many like, years? Well, how many years? It took me maybe. It took me about six years, I think, to get into Gotham. Maybe six to yeah, around six seven years into Gotham Comedy Club, which is one of the biggest best comedy clubs in New York City. It's really very uh, uh, like great venue to perform in, and then for the Comedy Cellar, about eight years, probably only interrupted because of the pandemic. Like I was already ready before you know it could have I could right. got in like maybe around the time I got into Gotham, but then the pandemic hit, so I lost about a year or two because of that. Um, but I auditioned like the same stuff I had pre-pandemic, so I knew I was probably already ready beforehand. Um, wow. And now uh, there's certain weekends where I was like, oh my god, I have three spots at Gotham, and I'm going to go to the cellar for two comedy spots, or or like the Booker will be the ones emailing me like, hey, mm -hmm. are you available to do like? Because in the past, when you first start out, like you're emailing these bookers, your availability, you're like hoping right. they're going to give you a spot, and now like they will reach out to me like, are you available? Are you available? I'm like, I cannot believe. I've gotten to to where I have right now. Like literally dream come true. I'm right. at the best clubs on the weekend. My schedule is packed. And sometimes I have to remind myself that this is my dream because now sometimes it can become work. I'm like, oh my God, I have all these spots. Right. And, and then my friend have to has to be like, is this your dream? And I'll be like, oh yeah, let's try. This is my dream. And I have to remind myself that I'm living my dream. I love that. And you know, what you said is so important. The reason I wanted to ask you about the timeline is because you know, we're both in the Tony Robbins world, right? And he says, people overestimate what they can yes. do in a year and they underestimate what they can do in five years, maybe mm -hmm. 10 years. And it's important that as we're pursuing our dreams, whatever they might be, we want to dream big, but we also need to realize when we're looking at Jocelyn Shia's, she, her, her career, we're looking at her middle, right? We're not looking at her beginning. And right. I, I love the way that you traced it because it really was an evolution and then when you started to say, okay, comedy is what I'm going to pursue, you were even mindful enough and thoughtful enough to say, I'm going to do a one-year renewable contract because I want to stay aligned with my dream. And then as you started to gain traction, then things really started to take off. Now you're living your dream, but it's still important to stay grounded and still be aware, is this still my dream? And Absolutely, Yeah beautiful it's a beautiful evolution it's a beautiful explanation and hopefully I mean I know it inspires me because I'm at the beginning of some of my dreams mm. and I'm living some other ones and I think it's a uh, just a really beautiful um and inspiring and realistic uh timeline like put in the work put in the reps right yeah and 
but there is a bit of a tension between what I'm saying, which is reevaluating your life and, and whether your dream is still your dream and the idea of commitment and no matter what you stick to mm. it. So I think you, you still have to play with that tension a little bit. Like how much is it like you're just giving up too soon? If you do give up, thinking is just not in alignment versus that commitment. And I'm just going to do it and get the end result no matter what. Mm. Do you think it's a both and that you can, you can it's hold? It's a both hold? and, yeah. But to play with that is where the where the tightrope comes in. Yes, yeah. Because I want to give up many times. So, you know, I I know that it is a, a fine line to be walking. Like how much is it okay? It's just not in alignment versus I'm just giving up too soon or too easily. Yeah. Can you think of a time when you were really close to giving up? And oh, yeah. Got uh, it seems it? like every three years, I have a major give up crisis. <laughs> every three years? It seems okay. like every three years. I, 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 in the very beginning, me and comedians would joke about how often do you think of quitting? Oh, is it once a week, once a month? So it was like, that was like a, a standing joke between me and my comedian friends. Like, how often do you think of quitting? And some are like every day, every hour. <laughs> so I don't know how much of it is facetiousness and how true that is. But I think in the beginning, when it's that struggle, that grind, for sure, I thought of it a lot more. And then once I started to hit my stride and got into, especially um, the comedy cellar, I was like, okay, I don't really think about quitting that much anymore. Um, but yes, I do remember one time about three years in. So I wasn't really at many clubs. I was maybe at two clubs, getting a, a few spots here and there, nothing great. And um, I consulted one of my friends about it. And she's Christian or Catholic. We, we all went to Catholic high school together. And she's like, oh, why don't you pray about it? And I was like, oh, what do you do? Why do you pray about it? But, <laughs> but I, I was like, well, I do remember how to pray. I am not actively religious anymore. But I was like, but I did go to Catholic school for 12 years. I know how to pray. I was like, all right, let me try this prayer thing. <laughs> and, <laughs> and I did. And I prayed for a sign. That's all I prayed for. I, like, I prayed for a clear sign to whether or not to keep going. And I wasn't given just one sign. I was given a few signs. I won a comedy competition for the first time in my life. Before, there was always second place. But this time around, I straight up won. Uh, I got booked on a gig that was paying me a few hundred dollars. So previously, it was like $20 at most, oftentimes even free. So I got mm -hmm. paid a, like maybe $400 gig. And I got passed at another comedy club has meaning now you're in the rotation okay and the fourth one was I got asked to make my first television appearance uh for XS TV it was called live at Gotham William Shatner was the host so it was like four in one within two weeks of praying so I was like okay thank you universe or thank you god you <laughs> got the sign and so I kept going so I feel like I, I always needed these um boosts to keep me going every now and then Sure. Or every three years, I guess. Yeah, I yeah, yeah, I, I appreciate that. You know, sometimes you just you keep grinding and then you go, okay, what am I grinding for? And it's so easy to just throw in the towel. And mm -hmm. that's a really, a really good transition to something you mentioned earlier that I think is important because your particular dream, your particular business was devastated by the pandemic, right? Mm, I see. Yeah. So in 2020, is it fair to say that your momentum maybe came to a bit of a screeching halt it did yes but also it also helped in a way and that that is the opportunity in crisis right so mm. we started doing virtual shows and I had already taught one comedy class right before the pandemic in, in person and then 
when it was the pandemic, we pivoted to virtual classes and now I could get students from all around the world. So it's Americans, Europeans, Malaysians, Singaporeans, Indonesians, like that was so cool. So yeah, it came to a screeching halt for a little bit, but I I, I love the enterprisingness of the human spirit. Not not me. I mean, thanks to Zoom, <laughs> thanks to all these people doing virtual <laughs> stuff. <laughs> yeah, I mean, look at look at us right now. I mean, this is happening. Exactly. Because yeah. Of so that. I think there's a lot of opportunity in the pandemic. And I think I, I I'm not the only one to say this, but I know a lot of people who say, wow, this pandemic was actually like really great for them in, in, mm -hmm. in several ways. You had mentioned when we talked previously, though, that during that time you had sort of suffered with some some I don't know if it's fair to say depression, but you'd had some mental health struggles. Yes, I had a very big challenge in my mental health during the pandemic. So, yes, career wise, there were ways that we could find opportunity in the crisis, but I had a very bad struggle with my mental health um, Probably the worst I ever had in my life. OK, and. That was, was that due in part because of the pandemic or oh, was absolutely, that yeah, pretty absolutely pretty that it was the pandemic, right? Hmm? It was because of the pandemic, right? I don't know 100%, but I'm sure it exacerbated a lot of things. Okay. Yeah, bad breakup, um, pandemic, uh, what else is going on? Maybe, I'm sure career uncertainty, where is this going? Yeah, and then, of course, the pandemic affecting the career. And yes, you can find certain outlets, but there's nothing like a live in-person show, you know, like a Zoom right. show. Is, you get maybe one twentieth of the joy and satisfaction of an in-person show. So I actually all like exacerbated and, and turned into this mental health crisis that I was having. Yeah, during during that, the challenges, I think we all went through certain I, I don't know anybody that wasn't impacted in some right. way, shape or form with their mental health. You had done some personal development work earlier in your life, right? Since I was 12 or four, I think 12. Yeah, 12 years old was when I first started. So during the pandemic, though, with all of the virtual um, offerings, you found your way a little bit more into the Tony Robbins community, correct? Much more so, yes. I mean, I had always known of him. I had his book that I never finished, um, but <laughs> during the pandemic, it was finally my chance to do Unleash the Power Within, and I wanted to do it before, but I didn't want to walk on fires. So I was like, oh, I don't want to do this firewalk thing. <laughs> but You're when walking was... on fire next November <laughs> together in <laughs> Jersey. Mark my word. Yeah, I will hold your hand, my no. friend. <laughs> will you hold my feet too? No, no, I will not. <laughs> but I will help spray them. How's that sound? Okay, okay. <laughs> so when it was virtual, I was like, oh, no, fireworks. Look at that. So I did it virtually in the, during the pandemic. I was like, what a godsend. And then amazingly enough, I won my second UPW. There was some raffle and I won a second UPW like soon after. I was like, wow, double up, doubling up on, on the momentum and then when unleash her power within came about the next year i was very sold on the weekly repetition and the the, mm -hmm. the i forgot her word the layering the step the repetition. spaced repetition space repetition and, yes and the stacking um yeah because i found like with the intensives you can lose momentum very quickly afterwards so i thought okay space repetition with intensive that sounds like the way to go so i did that and i think i've done uhpw three years now so really loved the whole program. How many rounds have you done? I think you've done more than me, right? I've you done four done. rounds. You've done four? I have, yeah. Oh, okay. No, I think I've only done three. 
Oh, I win. Maybe only two, but at least two, <laughs> two to three. it's so funny. And um, <laughs> and you and I met during Date with Destiny. We were in the same room, what, 39 slash 43. And we ended up finding each other. And I just remember seeing, I, I think I told you this, seeing a comment that you made because I was crewing and monitoring the chat. You made some comment. I was like, oh, just so insightful, so interesting. Little did I know that you were a UHPW sister. Yes, Uh, we I both was like so will end up in this random group. random room 43. And I mean, I don't believe in random. Um, I believe that it was directed. Um, I think we were guided to find one another. And I, um, I just, I love how many times, you know, how um, Carissa Kuchis, KK talks about iterations, you know, how we do these different iterations of our manifesto or whatever you like, we change, we tweak as we grow. I find that you are like a living, breathing embodiment of iterating your life. Like you find this and then you find this and then you find this and you go with what you feel led to do. And so I want to talk about a obviously one of the biggest challenges you've had in your career this year and how you brought in the tools and strategies that you gained through your personal development journey to rise above it. And I'll just let you tell the story because I'm not going to be even come close. So you can just take away with what you're calling joke gate and just tell the audience like what happened and then how you weathered it and what you're doing about it now. Yeah, and that's very interesting you used the word iterative because I, having had that entrepreneurial innovation background, iterative is the word we use when it comes to innovation. Uh, so you can't have like a perfect product right off the bat. You have to iterate and get tested, get feedback and pivot. So that, I guess, that design thinking, that's what we call it, that design thinking is how I, I bring into my life too. Uh, so personal development and how I use it to, to deal with joke gate. So what happened for the benefit of your listeners is I was doing a comedy show at the Comedy Cellar and we did a collaboration and posted a clip about it. Uh, and and it, I, I compare Singapore where I grew up versus Malaysia, our like a, a country that we were once a part of and then they like broke up with us. But then we had a glow up became a first world country, developed country, one of the richest countries in the nation in the world. And Malaysia is still like this developing country, right? So doing the whole like post breakup glow up uh, analogy. And outside all oh, the airplanes cannot fly, la la la. <laughs> that was the part that that uh, Malaysians got really upset about. Also, there were Malaysians in the audience and in the context of the live comedy show, everyone knows this is in jazz, it's in fun and you know, one of the, the comedy staffers was like, ah, oh, you're going to get us a bad, bad review from the Malaysians. I was like, oh, don't worry. They don't have internet. So all that was like posted <laughs> online. I murdered in the live show. Not so much when it was posted online and consumed out of context by Malaysians. And you have to know that in Malaysia, they are one comedy club in the whole country, like one proper comedy club. So that's how little exposure they have to comedy. So that's a, is that they have a very different exposure versus Americans, right? Because America's like, what the hell is the big deal with this joke? And they are like creating this whole hue and cry. Like we have 9-11 jokes. <laughs> so, so many comedians have 9-11 jokes here. We have a thousand on the internet. And so we're like, what on earth is their problem? And here they are creating this whole hullabaloo over like one joke that like, this is their airplane. Uh, But just to just to clarify, though, because not everybody is, as you know, maybe dialed into 
current events or recent events, your, your, your joke was in reference to the Malaysian airline that disappeared. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. What was it? MH? I don't even know. MH30? I don't even know. I, does it really matter? I don't know why I feel Yeah, like it doesn't matter for the joke. Why do Yeah. I need to, you know, why do I, but you were joking about their, their airplane that disappeared and, and obviously that didn't land so well. So what, what Yeah. happened? And I actually say that, oh, not funny. Okay. Well, some jokes don't land. And that's the part that gets the audience. So, so the joke is very much a, a, an emotional journey with the audience. Like, oh, I say something to like, Uh, cross the line and then oh bye I brought you back uh -huh. and then they would like clap and your know, applause break and uh -huh. it's like a very fun it's a very fun bit um I would say like 90 to 95 percent applause break bit so one of my best bits uh and then so Malaysia went crazy they were protesting outside the U.S. embassy <laughs> they gave a memorandum to the U.S. ambassador saying like Jocelyn Shear should be banned from from performing ever again uh they were like trying to cancel me by just getting all the comedy clubs I ever work with threat. They were sending threats to them. They were review bombing them. And, and for a comedy club owner, the reviews are very important, right? So there's a lot of leverage people can have to cancel a comedian just through the use of false reviews. Like, I mean, these are people who have never even been to America and all of a sudden They are giving one star reviews to all these American comedy clubs mm -hmm. because like they're booking Joss and Chia. So how did I handle all this? Uh, first of all, I think in large part, thanks to my massive challenge over the pandemic, I knew to prioritize my mental health. When something like this happened, I was like, okay, mental health first, right? Nothing else matters in this moment. I'm going to prioritize my mental health and emotional well-being So I cut off access to me, meaning they were sending me these emails, threatening me, demanding an apology. Well, the first email I saw, she was like, I, you apologize, apologize. And I was like, go fuck yourself. So but I was like, I can't be doing this to like a million people. It's going to waste my time. So finally, I set up an autoresponder. And I was like, okay, if you're a Malaysian trying to email me to harass me over a freaking joke, first of all, get a life. Second of all, I'm not going to be reading any of your vitriol, parentheses, look it up in the dictionary. And <laughs> I know I was such a freaking punk. I don't know where I get this like punkiness from, but yeah, I was a very no, much. I, that's, I think that's probably why we gel. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. Yo, what? <laughs> I have a little punkiness myself. Oh, okay, great. Awesome. <laughs> Yeah, and so I sent an autoresponder and I was like, you know, my assistant will monitor my e inbox. If it's actually important, I'll get back to you. And thankfully, I had someone monitoring my inbox because there were a bunch of um, journalists trying to reach out to me, CNN, BBC, Independent, etc. Um, so that's one thing I did for the email. For social media, I, I just temporarily turned off the ones that I didn't use. I didn't use Twitter. I didn't use Facebook. I barely ever, like maybe once every few months, I'll post something. So I was like, oh, let me turn those off because why give them... more access to me, right? right? So I turned those two off. The ones that I still use were Instagram. I was very active on Instagram. I still kept my personal Facebook so my friends could still have access to me. I just turned off my comedy Facebook page. Mm -hmm. Instagram, TikTok, YouTube was still up and running. Um, but I didn't read any of the YouTube comments. I... TikTok, I think I still that because here's the irony, Christine. Like, and comics know this: when you get hater comments in your feed, it actually boosts your algorithm. Right? I'll let them boost my algo. 
And so YouTube actually emailed me saying, we would love to have you in our program. Your, your videos are getting so much heat. That, so now that we would love to let you monetize your, your videos. So like, thanks to Malaysia. <laughs> My Thank YouTube you videos get monetized. Yeah. And um, Instagram. Instagram, now I have the verified checkmark and I don't have to pay for it. Also, thanks to Malaysia. So, you know, like, like a lot of cool things came out of it. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, thank you for saving me like a hundred something dollars a year. Um. So for Instagram, I think I I limited my message. I think that was the main thing. I had to limit my inbox, right? So because those were the messages that would come straight at me. Comments, I can refuse to read. Messages, there were too many friends also trying to reach to me. So I'd like change the settings such that only people who were already following me could message me or I already followed, something like that. Uh, so anyway, I, I really cut off access to, to me. And I didn't read anything that was being written about me when the journalist from Singapore emailed me saying, hey, you know, what is your response to what Vivian something something or other said about you? I was like, who that? He turns out to be the foreign minister of Singapore. And I was like, who that? <laughs> I was like, I didn't read what this person said. And I actually said, I didn't read what she said. And it turns out to be a guy. I was like, I didn't love about what you said and it's so universal jocelyn you said i just cut off access yeah that is so universal because no matter what in what you're talking about whether it's this huge joke gate where you have an entire country coming at you which i can't imagine was super pleasant or you're you're stepping out into something new and you're getting pushback from people that you love or you are, you know, like literally just trying to figure your shit out, figure out who you are, what you value. Like you cut off access to people that aren't going where you're going. Mm. And you don't let them have access. You don't let them take up mind share, as we exactly. call it. Right? Yeah. And in fact, I saw someone comment, because the Malaysians were like going on their forums and la la la. And someone actually said, why you guys... Let letting Jocelyn Chia live rent free in your head space, right? So, yes, I I I blocked them from living rent free in my head space, right? They were letting me live rent free in their head space. Um, my friend actually messaged me the other day. She was like, "Did you see like Taylor Swift's time interview?" And I was like, "No, I I didn't." I and she said, "Well, I just thought it was so interesting how she dealt with her backlash so differently from you. Did you hear yeah. this? So she actually went to hiding for a whole year, a year. because she mm -hmm. thought that's what people wanted her to do. And I did read about that in a different article, and I was like, "Girl, who gives a shit what people want you to do? What do you want to do? I would have." gone into hiding I think there's a lot of people have told me they were like wow if I was in your shoes I would have gone into hiding I'll have had three bad haircuts you know <laughs> <laughs> I'm it's glad you didn't cut your beautiful hair <laughs> oh thank you <laughs> um and, and they were so impressed that I didn't not only not only did I not go into hiding I stood strong I pushed back I trolled an entire country. I didn't think I was trolling, but my friend was like, you've been trolling this country for weeks. And when, when she said that, she means things like, um, when they called for Interpol to track me down, I, I posted, I was like, oh my God, they want Interpol to find me. Oh my God, my Netflix special is writing itself. You know, uh, <laughs> things like that. Like, you, they need Interpol to find me. I'm like, I'm my schedule's on the website. <laughs> <laughs> I'm the music club. 
<laughs> yeah, exactly. If you can't find me, you know, why do you can't find your plane? You know, like stuff like that. Oh my god. But yeah, so far this year, they have given me like some really solid jokes. I love that. And all because you just refused to give them that rent-free space in your brain. You you held to your tools, right? The thing Yeah, I think for me, it's very much like I cannot let them win. I think that was more my mindset. Like, all right, I have to win this. Like it, when you have haters like that, I guess maybe one helpful thing is to think of them as what Tony calls a worthy opponent. Right. Yeah. They were now an opponent. And mm -hmm. I was going to freaking win this match. And so I did everything I possibly could to win. And I feel like when you go into something that may have been destabilizing to you with that mindset of I'm going to win and thinking as our beloved Tony says, this is happening for me, not to me. Mm -hmm. And that really shifts your whole mindset, your thoughts, and therefore that impacts your actions. Meaning... Um there were so many people, even one of my managers, who would be like, just lay low, just let it die down, you know, don't, don't, some people are saying don't grant interviews. And I can kind of see where they were coming from. I mean, they are from, more from the Asian perspective, where the, there isn't freedom of press, the press may not be on your side, they might want to side with the government, and the government, if, you know, if like ministers were like, apologizing on my behalf so there was a lot of distrust of the press but mm. then uh the western press i was like okay the western press is built on the foundation of freedom of speech right so right. this is a, a classic case of freedom of speech being suppressed especially by a, a, a an american comedian and her speech is now being suppressed by a country that doesn't have freedom of speech. So it's like a very nice story from a from a Western journalistic point of view. Right. Uh, so right. I knew they would at the very least be neutral and probably leaning more towards my side. So when I came to that conclusion, I was like, no, I will talk to the Western press. And so I did that. And I the consensus was that, was that I did present myself very well. It was ABC Australia, um, CNN, BBC, New York Times. South China Morning Post, technically um, Asian, but Hong Kong, former British colony, they're, they're pretty westernized in their perspective. And, and in the interview I did, they were de definitely very much um, sympathetic to me and even criticizing other Asian countries for clamping down on comedy, like arresting comedians, jailing comedians, fining comedians. Oh. So they gave all that context. And the headline was um, Jocelyn Chia's saga i can't remember what the word was um proves the limits of asia's sense of humor so they were like a little critical of asia even though they are an asian paper <laughs> so that was a, a, a right call to like do an interview with that that was the only asian paper i gave an interview for because i knew they were more western in their sensibilities um but so not just that uh i got to write a newsweek op-ed and I think this was the one that helped me get on your favorite show, Gutfeld. Favorite show, yeah. Your favorite show. Because in this article, I very much showed how I was taking a stand, not for myself, but for my my industry. You know, there's so many comedians and entertainers who got cancellation attempts. I was taking a stand against cyberbullying. I got mm -hmm. so much like attempts at cyberbullying me. I was taking a stand for freedom of speech and you know, central tenet of, of America and our democracy. I was like, this is 
really absurd, right? I, I wasn't even doing this in Malaysia. I was doing this joke in America on U.S. soil. Like you cannot cancel an right. American comedian for speaking in America. This is nuts. And as a U.S. citizen, so I'm not even Malaysian. So that was like there was just so much like philosophically on my side. I felt I guess a prince matter or principle that I could give a very like impassioned op-ed in in Newsweek, right? And mm -hmm. Uh, one of the writers for Gutfeld read this article and also he had seen that I had, I had been invited to do Fox News um, Saturday night, with, mm -hmm. which is a comedic talk show. And, and I got that, I think also because of Jokegate. Um, I mean, there was like a couple of coincidences. I was on a show with, with this comedian, Jimmy Failure who was uh, going to be one of the hosts. And then when he, and then within a week, when, when Joe Gate happened, he was like, oh yeah, Jocelyn Chia, funny comedian, refuses to apologize for a joke. Let's get her on the show. Yeah. So because I had that fit. already under my belt. Sorry, what? It's the perfect fit. Perfect fit. Because I had that under my belt when, when the Gutfeld writer saw that this Newsweek article and I had already done a Fox show, when he pitched me, they were like, to, to Gutfeld, Gutfeld was like, yes, I would love to have her. Uh... So that happened. That was my first late night credit, which is totally a dream come true. I've always wanted to be a op-ed, like a news columnist. Uh, so that Newsweek came true. And now, so I've been on um Fox television three times now and Fox radio one time. And I was just thinking about my accomplishments for this year. And I was like, I held my own on U.S. national television. Yes. Especially with Godfell, 2 million viewers. And I held my own. I was like, Never in my life would I have dreamed that I could one day be on American national television and actually holding my own and being articulate and funny and, and intelligent. I was like, oh, I'm kind of proud of what I've become. <laughs> oh my gosh. I love that. And, you know, I watched, obviously, you know, I watched Gutfeld and I watched the episode and I was just like squealing. I'll be honest. I was squealing like a little girl because you're, you're my friend and <laughs> my friend live. I'm watching my friend live her dream. It's not like I'm squealing because, oh, look at, she's famous and she's, you know, it's like, I'm watching you live your dream and you're mm. coming out of what would have crushed so many similarly situated people, especially women. And I'm and so glad that women have been like, oh my God, you're so inspiring. And, and I don't consider myself like a role model, but if women do want to see my story as inspiration for what they to cannot mm -hmm. just withstand because I don't say I survived my cancellation. I thrive through right. my cancellation. Well, Another awesome. female comedian was saying, I've never seen a comedian jujitsu a cancellation attempt as hard as Jocelyn Chia has. Like <laughs> she stomped on her cancellation to level herself up and take herself higher. You absolutely did. And you know, but what you did, what you didn't do in that process is you didn't lose sight of who you are. And that's what I love about you. Again, there's so much I love about you. <laughs> but what we were talking about is, you know, you you knew that going through all this, you had to have these tools that that grounded you. And then you also knew, and this is the, the thing I wanted to pivot to, is you knew you needed a community to continue, not just staying grounded as your fame is 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 obviously exploding, and I'm so excited for you, but also just staying grounded because we don't know what life holds, right? Mm -hmm. Four years ago, we didn't even know what, I mean, pandemic, the only pandemic we knew about was, okay, maybe the AIDS, but that was an epidemic. Then there was a 1918 pandemic. Like who knew our world was going to come to a grinding halt? Like life is unpredictable. 
and you knew you needed a community. You had UHPW, but you wanted something more. Yeah. And so what does our iterative, is that what you said? Iterative? Iterative. I don't know. <laughs> I it's interesting that you say I knew who I was because, Christine, challenges like this actually teach you who you are. Meaning wow. I did not know I was this fucking strong until mm -hmm. this happened. And now I'm so impressed by my strength, my resilience, my mental and emotional strength, um, my refusal to back down, my refusal to let someone else dictate how, how my life is going to be, how I should be acting. I refuse to let someone demand an apology out of me that wasn't heartfelt and sincere. Right. So it really showed me who I was. But yes, the community that you were asking about. So yeah. I had two all-women communities I was in at the time this happened. What I decided, seeing how important it was, was that I wanted a, a more active community moving forward. But I really wanted to go to my next life transformation. Um, and I saw, like Tony says, you really underestimate what you can do in three years. And I saw that... I was in a, a three-year program with the, the, the that tapping community I was talking about. Okay. Gala Darling is her name. And I was in her year-long program. I renewed it every year for three years straight. And I saw how much my emotional well-being had transformed from when I first found her, which was COVID. I mean, of course, there was also Tony, et cetera, right? But you know, she was <laughs> like a consistent source of community and a, and a leader, like you know, kind of taking everyone through her program. So mm -hmm. I was like, I really want another program like that where there is guidance and there is someone like, you know, bringing the energy because I think when it's an ad hoc group, people can lose steam or lose momentum and it's very much dependent on the participants. I like wanted something with leadership and I want a year-long program that the intention was to keep going every year because I wanted my next three-year up-level. Like, I saw how much I transform in three years. Mm -hmm. Now I've become a seller comedian, like, thrive through this joke game, you know, mental health, emotional well-being, check, pass with flying colors. Um, agents, you know, we always love to ace tests. Um, <laughs> and I was like, okay, what's the next up-level? And I want my next up-level to be... Um, in like a more goal-oriented, uh, my next career transformation as well. And I want to do it in the community. And I couldn't find anything quite like it. Like the the stuff that was very goal-oriented tend, tended to be very masculine and structured and get shit done, which is cool. And I want that. But I also want a bit more of that Mama Gina femininity and play and fun and pleasure. Mm -hmm. I was like, I want to meld the two. Can we do like both? Like I want some masculine structure and get shit right. done Feminine play and pleasure can have like a little bit of manifestation magic in it, sure. But I don't, I don't want it to be just all this like woo woo stuff. So right. I asked around, and and nobody knew of any. And I wanted it to be a whole year, so I'm, I was very demanding, and I'm very demanding, and I'm very exacting in my standards. So I couldn't find anything that matched my standards. So I created my own. Do you call it a collective or a community? Oh gosh, I'm still trying to figure out what to call it. So first of all, I don't call myself a coach. Because this is not one of those um, DIY coaching programs where you buy a program and you just watch at your own pace. It's also not a life coaching program where you have a coach just give you one-on-one -on -one sessions. But it's a, I coined this myself, I think. I don't know if anyone else has this term. But D 
W-Y, do with you. So it's me up-leveling my life and going through my next transformation and wanting to do with a fun group of other women who also want to up-level and move into the next phase of their lives, yes. but with community. So I actually haven't quite figured out the name yet. I mean, the best word I had was container, but I also didn't like it 100% because it has Tupperware connotations. So <laughs> I haven't found the perfect word yet. I love that. Well, it's interesting that you would say that too, because I say that a lot on the podcast that girl out of orders have come along with me community because I'm not here to teach or lead or instruct on things. I'm not actually learning. I'm learning along with my listeners. And so I, I love that. Like I said, I earlier, I'd sat in on one of your sessions and it was just It was just really fun to observe the women just going about getting stuff done. And I mean, I was perplexed by it at first, but then I got intrigued. Yeah, you're like, what's going on? I was like texting you going, I don't really know what we're doing here. (laughs) Like, you're just doing stuff. I'm like, okay, but I love it. Yeah, I consider it an implementation container, for lack of a better word, meaning... If you're anything like me, we've done a thousand programs, read a thousand self-help books, but we don't actually implement what we've learned. So I wanted to create something where we're actually doing what we learn rather than let me learn one more thing that I'm never going to use. So I was very much about, yeah, let's really focus on the execution rather than learning one more thing. And so that's why I don't consider myself a, I figured out life or I figured out how to manifest and I'm going to teach women how to manifest. I'm like, no, I, I have gotten a track record of success in my life in various different industries. I have transformed my own careers and my emotional well-being and my emotional makeup. Uh, I would say four times total now, if you include the emotional. And now I'm moving to my next transformation. I think it's kind of boring doing it alone. Yes, I've learned a lot of tools and tricks and strategies along the way, but I also need that accountability in implementing them. So that's why I created this. So I'm I guess I'm sort of the leader, but I don't consider myself a coach or guru or teacher or anything. I love that. I love that. And then I was going to ask you, because we can't gloss over the name. I mean, you have to explain (laughs) it. You just kind of dropped it. And then we moved on to the next thing. It's like, you can't just say a name like that and not explain where you came up with this name and why. The name is Pussy Up, and it just dropped into my head. As the full name was Level Up, Glow Up, Pussy Up. That was the full name. I think it's a bit of a mouthful, so I probably just... And everyone just calls it Pussy Up anyway, because that's just the catchiest part of the name. (laughs) Except for the more conservative girls, they'll call it Level Up. But that's like (laughs) three of them out of 140. The rest, I'll call it Pussy Up. And at first, I, I was a little hesitant about the name because of the P word. But then I noticed that when I tell it to people in person, their faces light up. They're like, Puss! like guy or girl, they like they get a little giddy or, or giggly at the word. I was like, you know what? It's a unique name. It's a unique brand. No one else has it out there. Not that I know of anyway. So I decided to stick with it. It's a little tongue in cheek, which is great because that's also kind of my brand. I'm a little tongue in cheek. I'm a comedian. You're not going to get like all lily white, all white gloves and pearls kind of uh <laughs> energy with me no way so I thought it was kind of good just to let people know hey you're not gonna get a very state person leading this container if her, her, her brand is pussy of and she's gonna be pretty sassy and a little naughty so I think that's pretty good just so, so women kind of know what they're getting um if they're turned off by the name then that's not going to be the right woman for the group right uh and the word kind of um 
I mean, we're all familiar with man up, right? Hey, man up, man up. But no one ever says woman up. Right? I, I, I've never been told that. But I did want to connote the sense of, hey, you know, step it up in our lives. Step it up as women, like owning our power, owning our goddessliness, owning our destiny, owning our success, right? Owning the life that you want to create. So that's where I'm coming from. Like woman up, not in a, not in a reprimanding way, but in a very encouraging Um, holding you to what you're capable of. We and so, for example, in my container, we don't say I'm going to hold you accountable. We say I'm holding you capable, or I want to be held capable. So we really see each other in like the biggest, most brightest possible light um, that that the woman is deserving of. I, I have to, I have to repeat that though. I, I really have to repeat that. You said we don't hold. I'm not holding you accountable. I'm holding you capable. That's right. You know, and, you know, you and I both being in, in the Tony Robbins world, we understand that part of the triad is our language that we use mm -hmm. around how we describe our emotions or how we describe situations. Like you had said earlier, you know, this is happening for me. When you say I'm holding you capable, you're 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 built building into that phrase a, a belief already that the woman has what it takes to do the thing. Absolutely. And, and it's, it's really, I've never heard it said that way. And, and I, I love you. You've even dropped like little words and you, you know, both of us being lawyers, we like, like big words, right? I mean, that's just <laughs> part of the, it's part of the gig, right? And, but you're very careful in the way you choose your words. And I, I see that as such a strength in you and you're such a good role model. And I would imagine that this community is just going to keep thriving. I mean, I've already, I've already got clicked on for the old uh, wait list for January. So I'm oh, you signed up for my wait list? Yep. 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 I did today. So I'm super <laughs> excited for that. And, and just to get to know a little bit more about this, because it is, it's about leveling up and you're right. We don't, we're not here to do life in a, a silo, right? You know, I'm a farm girl. You're a city girl. I'm a farm. I'm the farm mouse, right? Country mouse. But the silos are very self-contained, right? They're, that's, that's how they function. Human beings were never meant to function that way, mm -hmm. you know? And so, um, I love the fact that you're you're creating what you need. You remember when Tony would say, like, he created Date with Destiny because he needed that's Date with right. Destiny. He wrote it for so, himself. Yeah, that's an amazing, great reminder. So look at you, girl. Look what you're doing. Look what you're creating. Yeah. I oh, love thank it. Thank you. I created I, what I needed. Yeah. You created what you needed, and you're going to bring the rest of us along with you. And I was uh, preparing for the podcast and just looking through your um, your collective container, or whatever it is you're going to end up calling it. <laughs> I want to just use this quote. You said it's. It's like a road trip you take with a bunch of awesome, fun women on the way to your destination. And that just describes you. Yes. I love that. I think that's brilliant. And if anybody is interested in this, I'm going to put a link in the show notes, for, if that's all right with you, so Absolutely. that they can get signed up um, to get uh, become part of this amazing container of women. I love that. Yeah, I would love that, especially more women from the Tony world. Like I said, I really wanted, the, I think the UHPW women would be a, like the perfect fit, right? It was a container mm -hmm. led by a woman. Um, it had a lot of masculine structure as well. Yes. Some femininity um, intertwined. So I think that UHPW is like a pretty good sense of what it is. Like masculine structure meets feminine fun and play. And masculine a bit of ma structure. manifestation magic. <laughs> oh, manifestation magic. I love it. So masculine structure meets feminine play with a little manifestation magic. You got to put that on your website. I should put that on my website. You're okay. <laughs> I love you. that. It's going in my right show. Down. I love that. It's definitely going in my show notes. 
I mean, why not? Right. Yeah. Um, okay. So I have a couple remaining questions for you that I really wanted to ask because I, I'm seeing, I think after our conversation that we had, you know, a couple, was it a couple weeks ago, I came with that conversation, just really moved by your evolution, mm. how you, um, how you've just evolved through the different changes in your life, but yet you're, you're just always looking to grow. And it's, it's fascinating to me and being part of UHPW, I'm sure if you've been in the power fives or if you've been in the breakouts or even just, just in the teaching, there's a common theme for women. And that common theme is that I feel stuck Hmm. Um, as a leader in UHPW and leading some groups too. I hear that a lot. I just feel stuck. So what Jocelyn would you say from your perspective, just from your story, what would you say to the woman who says, I feel stuck? What in what's expected of me in what I expect of myself, maybe in a job, a relationship, just, I just feel stuck. What advice, what tips, I don't know, whatever comes to mind, what would you say to that woman? Well, I guess I need to know what that woman means by feeling stuck. Cause I think it's a Words have meaning, but it's also subject to each individual's interpretation. So let's say you, Christine, have you ever felt stuck before in your life? <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Are you feeling stuck right now? Um, you know, it I think it's it's more um frustrated. And then Tony Tony Robbins always says like he loves when people are frustrated because they're right on the edge of a breakthrough. Mm. So for me, I'm like I feel like I'm I'm frustrated because I'm coming up against the resistance when you're ready to change. Okay, right? so then you're not really feeling stuck. You're feeling frustrated at the resistance that you're facing? Probably frustrated that I haven't broken through and unleashed fully. You're frustrated that you haven't broken through and unleashed fully. And why do you think you haven't broken through and unleashed fully yet? Uh, lack of clarity, probably. A lack of clarity. And why, what are you not clear about? Okay, so see, this is exactly what I thought you were going to do. This is what I love. Because it's the perfect answer to the question that I asked you. The perfect answer to the question that I asked you is to inquire further. Mm, I see. And so not that not that I'm not willing to answer those questions, but I, I think it's, I want to leave that right there because these women who say they feel stuck, they're not inquiring enough. They're right. not, they're not asking enough questions. They're not, they're not pulling back the layers. What do you really want? Mm. What, and why do you really want that? And then when they say why they want that, well, why do you, why is that important? And you start peeling back yes. the layers. And so you just did a perfect example. I, I love, you're such magic. You're such magic. Because that's exactly what I believe women need to hear is like when you say you feel stuck start asking the questions right because I to me stuck is never a word I've ever used to describe myself before so for when I'm hearing that a lot of women are saying this my instinct is I don't think they really know what it means mm -hmm. I think it's just a band-aid word that they're placing to describe some amalgamation of feelings that they're having that pre that prevents them from moving forward but it's not getting to the root of what the issue is. So that was where I was going with what do y'all mean by stuck? No, I love that. But I think I think that's what's really important. And again, it goes back to what we were just talking about with the triad 
and the language that we use to describe our situation. Mm. You asked me if I had feel stuck. Do you feel stuck now? Not stuck, but I'm frustrated, right? Right. So I could say I feel stuck. And then what's going to happen is that's going to draw stuck energy. Mm. You know? Right. If I, if I describe my frustration as, you know, being stuck or stalled, then that's probably, probably going to draw more of that to myself. Yeah. Yeah. So no, I appreciate, but I do, I think you're right. It's about inquiring as to what they mean by the word, why they feel that way and what do they really want? So for me, a lack of clarity is like, I'm clear on the ultimate goal. It's the steps to take. Mm. That's, that's where I'm frustrated. It's like, I know exactly where I want to be. Mm. It's the frustration is I feel like I focus too much on that and not enough on just take the next right step. Oh, 100%. Yeah. And yeah. usually you have more clarity when it's a shorter step rather than the whole game plan. <laughs> that's beautiful. That's beautiful. And I think that's I think that's a really good way too to answer that woman's question is with questions, but then also say like, are you focusing on a step that's too far off mm -hmm. as opposed to like what KK talks about and unleash your power within like just the two millimeter shifts. Yeah, it's those little steps that add up. Just ask, what's the next right thing? What's the next right thing to do? Exactly. All right. So that's interesting. You asked me a very generic question. Like, okay, if so many women are saying they're stuck, what's your advice for women who say they're stuck? And like, it can't be answered generically. It has to be specific to each woman. What does she actually mean by that? Yes. And 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 your answer was actually perfect. It's <laughs> perfect because I'm hope that all of you are listening to this because if you are feeling stuck. First of all, how are you describing your situation? What do you mean by that? And is that really true? We could go through Byron Katie's four questions. Is it really true? Can you be absolutely sure it's true that you're stuck? How do you feel when you believe that's true, even though you can't prove that it's true? And then turn it around. Like, who would you be? How would you feel if you didn't choose to believe that you're stuck? You know, there's it's but it's all about inquiry. And I love that. I love that. And it kind of is this a similar way of of expressing that. What if this was happening for me? Mindset. What would you do if this was happening for you? What would you be thinking if this was happening for you? So if you put yourself in that that state of being that this is happening for me, how would you be? What would you say? What would you think? How would you feel? And that uh, yeah. that ends up bending your reality. You're a reality bender too. You can put that on your website. A <laughs> reality bender. Yes. <laughs> Now you're just adding to your resume. <laughs> All right. <laughs> 10 pages now. Exactly. All right. So you've obviously moved out of a more traditional kind of role into the comedy and now, you know, building this collective and just what would you call it a collective? You like collective more than container? I keep saying collective. You keep saying collective. I do. And it's like, it's not my group. Who do I think I am? Damn it. <laughs> Um, you know what I love about the word collective um, is, is, is it feels more inviting, whereas container feels like closed off. Right. Because yeah. as I started to talk to you about the silo idea, it actually felt very container. Like container. Right. Good point. Hmm. Mm. I have to ponder that one. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe ask your community. Do they want to be in a, in a Tupperware container or do they want to be <laughs> Tupperware <laughs> container? <laughs> and ever since you said that, that's of course all I can think about too. Oh my God, I know. <laughs> that's what comedians do. We put a very distinct image in your brain. That you are a very good storyteller for sure. <laughs> Thanks. Um, okay, so 
two, well, actually, no, a couple more questions. I don't want to, I don't want to put myself in a container. <laughs> you talk and I got no questions. Um, Tupperware for you? No Tupperware for me. No, because I always lose the lids. So no. <laughs> me too. It's, it's like washing socks. There's always one missing, right? Oh my God. Yeah. Jerry yeah. Simon has a great bit about it. Even when it's your own washer dry, it just somehow goes away. Oof. <laughs> that is. Okay. So this is a little bit more of a serious question too. So you've obviously faced opposition. We talked about that. What would you tell a woman who is starting to live into her true identity? So let's say it's one of your UHPW sisters. She's gone through the program. She's figured out, wow, she's found her way back to herself. She's created her manifesto. Hmm. She's really feeling like, hey, this is who I am. Yeah. And she's running into opposition maybe even from those she's closest to, how would you encourage her? What advice would you give to her? I would say the best advice I have is those who mind don't matter and those who matter don't mind. So, and you did mention that some of it's like the closest people to you. So I would guess the closest people to you would matter to you. Mm -hmm. So... I don't know if they actually mind or more like they need to be made to feel safe or to feel comfortable about your transition. Like, I don't think they would be against a, a woman that they love doing something that's good for her. But if they are expressing some kind of resistance, mm -hmm. then my best advice, not knowing specific circumstances, is to figure out how can they be made to feel safe because they're somehow being threatened in some ways is, is my guess that's why they're coming out with this kind of resistance mm -hmm. by the end of the, if they do matter once they are brought on board with why you're doing this what impact it can have on them how you can make it more comfortable for them I don't think they will mind at the end of the day and those who do mind probably don't actually matter to your life so I'll give you an example from joke gate um Oh, yeah, I remember we talked about this when mm -hmm. the the foreign minister of Singapore was expressing, oh, she said, this is this is so horrific. Blah, blah, blah. And I was like, who that? Yeah, he's the <laughs> prime minister or foreign minister of a whole country. He don't matter shit to me. So who cares that he minds? Whereas my immediate family, my friends, of course, they didn't mind and they were supportive um, maybe one girl who had considered herself my friend well, did actually mind. So you know what? Not worth being my friend. It's not like she was a close friend anyway, but no close friend actually had a problem with this. So I would say if you're facing uh, obstacles and resistance, then know that you're not going to please everyone and the ones who are going to be really turned off by you stepping to your full power and who you really are aren't either they don't matter right now or they won't matter in the new you and the new life that you're creating for yourself. I love that. I love that. And then there's the the charge, if you will, that KK always, always gives us at the end of UHBW. It's let them witness, right? Mm -hmm. Let them witness. Like don't try to convert them. But let them witness because when you let them witness, a lot of times the the minding that they did have mm -hmm. kind of starts to fade away because they sort of really start to really like the new you because we tend to be happier, more content, more peaceful, more patient, and more loving mm -hmm. when we are at home in our skin. Yeah, absolutely. We feel good. 
So I don't really know who would really mind. <laughs> I mean, I could see... I can I can see if okay, but Womo is really like the people pleaser and always saying yes and always doing for some doing for others and now just like no, I'm gonna prioritize myself. Yeah, I could see people who were either taking advantage or just used to having her serve them hand and foot starting to mine. And I think that's when if they're really close people that you still want in your life, some negotiation, <laughs> some yeah. this is how it's gonna be, and 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 also uh letting them know how much it means to you. Like you're not doing this to piss them off or because you don't love them, but I, I that you're doing this for you and ultimately it would be better, even better for the relationship. Like you're saying, in the end, they're going to like you better because you're happier in your own skin. You're more who you are and that relationship will actually end up going to the next level, but there are always a bit of growing pains in development and growth. Yes. No, I love all of that. No, and and, and I think at the end of the day, you know, girl out of order, we're about fully embracing our unique selves and no longer contorting ourselves to fit other people's molds, not mm. shrinking, not chiseling, not morphing. We're not chameleons, right? We're fully integrated women that are designed to be a certain way. And when we figure out our essence, when we figure out who we truly are, that's when we're going to live the most fulfilling, compelling lives, which is what we all want. That's yeah, and you know, when I did that joke that offended the whole country, I actually read articles that were like, Malaysia was expecting an apology, but none was forthcoming. I was like, oh, really? You were expecting an apology, huh? Like, they just put me in this little box that, of course, this girl's going to apologize to us if we bully and harass her and browbeat her enough. And I was like, no, you don't get to force me into doing something I don't want to do. And interestingly enough, when I held so strongly to who I was and what I believed in, they gave up. <laughs> they just thought, okay, fine. She's going to do what she's going to do. And they had all these people that respected the stance that I took pop up and, and show up in my life and invited me on their TV shows and their radio shows and their podcasts and wrote articles in support and wanted to be my friend and wanted to be my pussy up container. So when you are really so true to who you are, there was a, a great statistical breakdown I read that one third of the people in the world are going to love what you what you do what you are what you represent one third is going to hate that one third is not even going to care so I was like one third is a pretty big number if you're talking about the whole world so just know that even I mean even Queen Taylor Swift has haters even she was so massively cancelled back I don't know how many years ago and she went to hiding for a whole year so just think about that one of the most beloved women in the world the richest musical star in the world billionaire now and even she has a lot of haters so even taylor swift can get away from being hated what more christine gill and jocelyn chia <laughs> but if we're at home with ourselves why do we care anyway right but what when we're at home with ourselves then why do we care anyway exactly because those who mind don't matter and those who matter don't mind that is exactly right all right so tell me tell us what are your big plans for 2024? Do you have any big plans? Yeah, my next transformation. So I had the career transformation, you know, did my dream of being uh, one of the at, the, at the top clubs in, in New York City. I, I was going to say top comedian in, in New York City, but then we also have like Chris Rock in New York City now. And, you know, so I can't really say I'm one of the top, but like for at the <laughs> comedy club level, you're one of the top comedians. Yeah. Uh, and... 
So done all that. So now the next areas that of my life that I'm transforming are my health and my wealth. So those are the two big things that I'm moving towards. I saw how I didn't like how vulnerable comedians were in this cancel culture age. So even though I got away with it and everything, but I just don't like how the world, the way the world is going to uh, moving towards for comedians, meaning it's a more sensitive, very cancelable, cancelable culture and. I don't want to put my eggs in that basket anymore, at least not all my eggs in that basket. So mm -hmm. I'm establishing a level of financial independence with multiple sources of income. That's the next up level that I'm doing and taking my health to the next level. I had some musculoskeletal issues that I've been in the process of, of working through. Did stem cell, which Tony's a big fan of. I did stem yeah. cell. has helped you. a lot. And so next year is just um, building on that foundation to really become in like, absolutely glowing full on health so those are my two next areas of transformation and i do think it's quite difficult to transform everything in your life all at once but as tony says you, you underestimate what you can do in three years so definitely in three years i could see a big transformation in these two key areas of my life i love that i love that and i'm on board with those those are some of my goals as well so sounds and to me like we see up keeps leveling up and then yeah. I'll have a whole new career in the self-development space. That's exactly right. Now we'll, we'll be joining each other on that because I'm going to hold you capable. That's right. See what I did there? <laughs> I see what you did just there. <laughs> I'd have one final question and I'm, I'll be honest. I'm, I took this, I borrowed this from uh, one of my favorite podcasters, Jen Hatmaker. She asks all her guests this question. It's um, from Barbara Brown Taylor. And I just, Love this question. You can answer it any way you want. You can answer it silly. You can answer it serious. But just the whatever comes to your mind. If I were to ask you, what is saving your life right now? What would your answer be? It's so funny that as I move out of comedy being my sole career, it's still the answer that comes back to this question. Because I read in this book by Stephen Cope, it was called something about the calling of your life. And he used the word dharma, which means your life's calling, your soul's purpose. And he said this, your dharma, if you don't do it, it will kill you. But if you do do it, it will save you. And comedy in its purest form, meaning I'm on stage, just being one with my audience, just lighting the whole audience on fire with laughter. That is such a life-saving life-affirming experience that it does still save me from like the worst days of my life or the worst times in my life. Um, the part I am quitting is the comedy hustle culture. So the whole like, oh, it's like I didn't leave one red race, the corporate red race to join the comedy red race. And so in the New York scene where it's pretty competitive, we're always trying to get you know further and further and further. And that is the part that I'm quitting. But comedy, like I said, in its purest form, just me and my audience, just like, lighting them up with laughter still so, saves me to this day. I love that. I love that. Well, thank you so, so much for being on my podcast, for being my new friend. Ooh. I'm so grateful that we were thrown into room 43 together. Yes. Um, you are such a special, incredible woman. And uh, I cannot wait to see what 2024 holds for you. Oh, thank you so much. Oh, my goodness, was that not just absolute fire from start to finish? Jocelyn Chia is one of the most incredible people I have ever spoken to. She makes me think. She makes me look inside. She makes me better. 
And that is the definition of a girl out of order. So I hope that you had the most amazing time today. Do me and Jocelyn a favor and share this podcast as far and wide as you possibly can. Because we need to not only get the message of girl out of order further out into this universe, but the world that already doesn't know about Jocelyn simply must get to know this incredibly complex beautifully introspective human being. So get on social media, follow Jocelyn everywhere you can. She is not hard to find, like she said. (laughs) You don't need Interpol to find Jocelyn Chia. Follow her on socials, follow her wherever you can, support her. And if you want to join her Pussy Up community, the link to do so will be in the show notes. It's an incredible collective container, whatever she ends up calling it. You want to be a part of this because again, when you get around people who are going where you want to go, you get there so much faster. So I am so thrilled that our first podcast of the year in Girl Out of Order was with this incredible human being. We have so much goodness coming in 2024. And you are going to be a part of it. Make sure you join our Girl Out of Order Facebook community because there are a lot of happenings that are brewing and I'm so excited to roll them out over the next couple weeks. We are so in this together, sisters. I love you. I love you. I love you. Thank you for joining me today and I will see you next week.